Good morning, Connect family. Everybody doing good this morning? Yes, a few people are doing good. A few people might need a, an elbow or a little more coffee. My name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, I just want to welcome you uh, to church. And we're in a series entitled Teach Us to Pray, where we've been looking at, you know, really how to, how to connect with God. As we come out sometimes of the summer, vacation mode, there's a tendency for us, uh, you know, as we are on vacation physically, to sometimes take a vacation from God spiritually. How many know what I'm talking about? There's just that default sometimes to, towards, you know, uh, take it easy, you know, lay low, you know, ease the seat back. You know how I always do it, summer, summer, summertime. You know, we're just on cruise control. But in the process, uh, sometimes there's some disconnect and some, and, uh, some distance that can come between uh, you and me and God. And so this series is really dedicated to fire up your relationship with God again. And we've been talking about a lot of different aspects of the subject of prayer. And one of the things that we've been talking about as, uh, you know, we began this, this series, one particular message that I highly recommend uh, was the, the study that we did on the Lord's Prayer. How many were here for the message on the Lord's Prayer? Raise your hand good and high. Okay, good. How many have been, have been using the Lord's Prayer in their prayer time uh, in their devotional life? Good. A lot, I hear a lot of feedback about that where we're, we're taking the Lord's Prayer, which was not designed for us to recite over and over again, but it was actually there to give us kind of a guide as we connect with God, that there was more, it was more a roadmap than a recitation. And so if you didn't get that message, I encourage you to go online and, and get that. It'll, it'll just help you. It's very, very practical. Uh, and it really is the foundation in many respects of the, the series, which is taken from Luke chapter 11, verse 1, where, you know, his disciples said, you know, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? Because we're seeing you do something that we haven't quite experienced, and, and we, want, we want us some of that. And my friends, my friends in uh, Louisiana, they always say, get you some of that. Get you some of that. So we want to get us some of that. You know what I'm saying? Turn your neighbor and say, get you some of that. So we also have, uh, you know, been praying for 21 days. We've been in a season of prayer. I think this is day uh, 13. We've got eight more days to go uh, where we're really encouraging everybody to get up every single day and offer the first 15 minutes of every single day. Let me just tell you, all of hell wants to stop you from just taking 15 minutes to pray. Is that not the case or what? You know, it's like you want, to hit that, you want to hit that snooze just one more time, and if you do, then your, your margins are squeezed, and now you've got to run, and now you've got to jump in the car, and now you've got to, you know, you've got to put the Pop-Tart in the toaster for five seconds instead of have the real breakfast, and, and out we go, you know? And so just I want to encourage you to, uh, to really plot and plan your day out and create some margin for you and God. Amen? Well, today... Um, I'm going to do a message that I, I've done like in different venues over the years. Uh, I, I, again, I've been in ministry for about 20 plus years, and, and, and this is one that I would consider for, for Connect kind of a classic. Some people have never heard this, so for many of you, this will be the first time you've ever heard this. Some of you heard this before in pieces, and it can be applied to uh, different um, aspects of our life, but... We spend a lot of time figuring out how to talk kind of to God, how to make sure God is hearing our prayers, how to make sure our prayers are answered, as we talked about last week in the subject of how to have powerful prayers, prayers that kind of tip the bowls. Anybody remember the analogy of the bowl? And uh, two people, awesome, that was impactful. <laughs> That's great. For all you listeners out there, that was really impactful here. Um, but I, 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 <laughs> I want to I talk about the other side because this is more a dialogue than a monologue. It's, it's, it, the goal would be to be able to hear from God. And, and sometimes I think we, we're not sure sometimes if God is deaf, but sometimes he might think we're deaf. 
He might think we're not listening. Um, I know a guy who, who nearly went deaf from a, a woman in his life, a particular woman in his life, uh, who, who talked so much, he, he, he practically went deaf. You know, and, and we can also, I think sometimes, in a way, we can almost go deaf from not hearing anything for a long, long time. The word of the Lord, let's just say, you know, wasn't heard for, for a season in your life. Uh, there's a story about a man who had a little bit too much to drink while he was driving home from, from uh, the city one night. And of course, you know, on a short leash, the, the police spotted him and, and they pulled him over and they asked him, you know, where you been? And he said, well, I've been at the pub, of course. It was while he's slurring his words, he said, well, I've been at the pub, you know, I've been at the pub. And uh, the cop says, well, it looks like you've had quite a few drinks of this evening. And, and, uh, and the guy said, well, I did all right. I did all right. And he's still slurring his words. And the cop says, sir, do you realize that your wife fell out of the car several miles back? <laughs> oh, thank heavens, slurs the drunk. For a minute there, I thought I'd gone deaf. <laughs> tough, tough joke. I know, a tough, tough joke. Sometimes, like, there's a lot of talking, but there's not necessarily uh, a connection being made between two parties. And I think sometimes we're in a one-way conversation with God, and, and, and we're not necessarily uh, planning for or anticipating reciprocation. And, and, and I just want to submit to you kind of as we start, and there's a scripture from John chapter 6, verse 33, and it says this. It says, the very words I've spoken to you, God speaking, are, are spirit and life. And I submit to you that you cannot live indefinitely a fervent Christian life without the words of life, without words from God. People eventually stop talking to God when they don't hear anything back. People eventually stop talking to people when they don't hear anything back. People will not continue in a relationship with someone where there is not dialogue, where there's only monologue. It, the relationship will die. It's not a relationship. It just has the appearance of sometimes a relationship if there's not dialogue. So this message is called Listen Carefully. Everybody say listen carefully. Here's your big idea. You'll suffocate your spiritual life without dialogue from God himself. We all need to hear his voice. We are created to connect with the creator. We are created to connect with the creator. And God wants to speak to you and me. He's actually, believe it or not, he's actually desperate to speak to us, desperate to connect with us. When I say desperate, I don't mean he needs us. He's just, like I said last week, he's chosen to need us. And so if he's speaking all the time, the question is, and he's trying to connect with me, how do I recognize that? How do I tune in? How do I get on uh, God's frequency? And I've got kind of three things that you already probably see in your worship guide where we're going to talk about tuning we're going to talk about turning, and we're going to talk about testing. They're kind of like three T's that help us connect with God. Tuning, turning, and testing. Tuning is where we're going to talk about just how to know the voice of God. Is it really God? Is it, is it a bad taco I ate last night? Is it a result of a tremendous amount of emotion from a fight I just had with my mother-in-law? Is it because, you know, um, you know, I'm feeling the weight of the world and so it's kind of producing certain direction and I'm having these thoughts? And these, or is it God himself? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you ever try to, 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 you know, ask, have you ever asked yourself, how do I differentiate? How do I know if this is God or this is something else? Is there a way to determine whether God is speaking or someone else is speaking to me? And the answer is yes. And I believe you cannot be shielded is just a contrast to that or, or a compliment to that. You can't actually be shielded from the wiles of the devil, the adversary, the enemy, the temptations of this life, the trials of this life with, without a certain amount of, and this is not the best word, but regular routine communication with God. 
Like you're more susceptible if you're not in dialogue with God, not just monologue with God. And this is what actually motivates us to want to do more of the, the conversation with God is actually if we're connecting with him. And someday you and I will all be tested. And in that day, you're going to need the word of God, listen, and a word from God. So you'll all be tested. If you haven't been tested already, you will be tested because the Bible promises that. It's one of his promises. You say, I, I, I don't like that promise. I know, but it's still a promise. Jesus actually said in John 16, 33, promised the world's going to be full of testing and trials and tribulation. But you're going to need in those days a word from God and the word from God to sustain, preserve, to uphold you. And my personal conviction is that God's words are... are you know, incredibly important to us, but his written word, but also his, uh, this is a tough word, and it, too, much, too much to maybe unpack, but a rhema word, a word that is personal. Let me try to describe it. You know, it, it, this Bible is basically filled with love letters from God, right, to, to you and to me. In fact, I, I actually, this is, this is a, a moment of vulnerability. I actually keep a lot of um, letters that my, love letters that my wife has written to me over the years. This is an envelope that says Prince Charming on it. That's my nickname is Prince Charming to her. And there's another one I'm not going to tell you, but uh, it's uh, off limits. But there's actually like, this particular note right here. This note is actually, was written to me five months into our marriage. That's how long I've had this note. And, and the name that she calls me is on it, so I'm going to flip that over so nobody sees that on camera. Um, but, but this is just one of her notes to me, you know, when we were early in marriage. And every now and then, I'll pull these notes out to, to read them and, and, and remind myself how she once felt about me. <laughs> just... <laughs> like, wow, things were really good back then. I mean, I had her duped. Um, and I, I'm just going through these actually just this morning again, some of these, and I have a bunch of them at home. And if you were in my, uh, if you were in my bedroom, you'd see like this in my dresser, you just see piles of these notes that came from my wife and even from my kids. And, and while those things are encouraging to me, those written words, it's nothing like actually hearing it from Stacy directly. There's nothing like being, you know, lying in bed at night and we're just kind of side by side and she, she'll whisper something to me or she'll put her hand over my chest. And every night I can remember just you know, put her hand over my chest and she said, you know what I love about you most? She said, you know, is your heart, you know. That's it. I can't, I'm all done. Like, what do you want? You know what I mean? Here's the checkbook, you know. <laughs> MasterCard, you know, do whatever you want. Zorro that thing to death. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? So when I, I am not trying to be sacrilegious and say that the written word of God is not critical to your life, but you also, I want, I want to create in you a, a desire to have the spoken word of God in your life. Does that make sense to anybody out there? It's desperate that you have that. And, and God wants you to have that. And he does still speak, but you have to listen carefully. People all over the world are doing everything they can with, with powerful instruments to try to hear from the heavens. I was just looking at some of the, you know, the different uh, machinery that's out there today. One, one thing in Puerto Rico, this massive, you know, dish that is just trying to be able to pull information in and hear things, you know, in the heavens from so far away. And they spend millions and millions of dollars to be able to, to do that. People, people, you know, it's innate. We want to be able to hear. We want to be able to hear. And we want to be able to hear from God. But how do we interpret 
sounds from God? Is it radar? Is it sonar? How do we do it as Christians? Well, there are certain filters, and I want to give you the first filter. Again, it's related to tuning, and tuning is about finding the frequency. Am I, in fact, hearing God? Um, 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, if, I think you probably have the reference there, but if I was to read in about verse 11 um, uh, and probably to about verse 13, let me, let me just say this to you real quick. Um, I can remember, you know, it being really important to be able to have a word from God, not just the written word from God, when it came to pastoring this church. And I've told this story before, and I'll give you the short and skinny on it, but I was at a conference. I was desperate to hear God about whether I was supposed to uh, assume the, the leadership of this church as the senior pastor or plant a church. And I'll be honest with you, it was, it was the way I'm wired and made, it was easier for me to actually, to actually think about leaving. Not my relationships, but actually to be my own man, to fulfill the vision that God had for me, and just start over someplace else. I don't know if you can appreciate that. It doesn't, it's no, it's not, I mean, I'm thrilled, and I've been here for a long time since, so hopefully nobody's offended by that statement. That was just the reality. And we were actually dialoguing privately about doing that, praying about that, like, is that what we're supposed to do? And we were, we were just hungry to do something fresh. And, and, but anyway, we went and actually went with my mother to a conference, and while I was there, a particular pastor basically said, hey, I want to take you to lunch. We went to lunch. It was this kind of cool situation. And while I'm at lunch, he put his hand on my chest, and he said, I have a word for you. I said, okay, go for it. And he basically said, you're supposed, to, uh, you know, you're supposed to plant a church, and you're supposed to do that thing down there in North Carolina, and blah, 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 blah. And he went on and on and on, and I'm like crying. Blah, blah. And then I remember calling my wife and telling her, and she's all excited, and I hung up the phone. And this will come into play a little bit later on. In the pit of my stomach, I knew it was wrong. It's not what I'm supposed to do. It, didn't, it, it lined up with certain things that I thought were god but there was, there was a particular leg of that decision that didn't witness to the Spirit of God and the plan of God for my life, and I had to wrestle that through. And ultimately, in an ultimate sense, I got a word from God, and God spoke to me, and he said, at the time the church name was Metro West Worship Center, unless Metro West Worship Center divorces itself from you, you are in covenant, you are married, you are one, and you're called to be the lead pastor of that church. And that word has sustained me, in particular through about the first five to seven years, which I'll be honest with you, are pretty bumpy. Leadership bumps, uh, growth lid bumps, personal growth bumps, personal life bumps, all kinds of stuff. That word was so important to me standing here and you being there. Amen. It's important to be able to have a word from God. Amen. So how does he speak? There's three different ways. Number one, we have to, when, when we're hearing from God, we have to see what's happening around us through the circumstances. So I'm going to give you three kind of legs. The circumstances. The circumstances. Now what happens for a lot of people is we look at the circumstances and we look at them while um, we're in the middle of them instead of look at them above them. We are supposed to, I think it's in your notes, we hover over the circumstances through or by magnification. That's just a big word for saying worship. How do we get above the circumstances so that we are interpreting the circumstances correctly? When you're trying to get a word from God, 
the circumstances are important, but they can mislead you and misguide you if you do not have the proper perspective or position on the circumstances. For example, I have a different perspective on this room than you do because you're down there in the middle of the room and I'm up here above it. Does that make sense? Worship takes you kind of above the circumstances, magnification, worship, so that you can see them clearly. An example would be if I was in traffic on Route 9, which I hate with a passion. I need ministry sometimes as I've gotten older. My wife, I was thinking about that yesterday. I said, almost called her yesterday because I was like, why am I so frustrated? You know what I mean? I feel like the Hulk. I want to smash, smash, smash. Pray for me. <laughs> Just being honest. But, but, I am, but I am in traffic sometimes, and you can be in traffic sometimes on the Mass Pike and 128 or Route 9 or whatever it is. I don't want to get anybody stressed out, but just those words get me going. And, and, and you can be in that bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. And what can happen is you just want to get out of that traffic at all costs. And what, what can happen is circumstantially an opportunity can present itself for you to get off an exit. There can be a detour. There can be a next exit. And you can think, oh, I'll take this and then I'll circumvent that and I'll go around this and I'll go around that. And then you kind of get to the next light or the next position, let's just say, down the road. And it's one of those hurry up and wait experiences. The guy that was behind you way back before, all of a sudden he, he rolls right up beside you like, hey, did you go through all that for nothing? You know what I mean? And does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's the same people that speed ahead to the next light, you know what I mean? You hit the next light, and the guy rolls up behind you and is like, what's up? You know what I mean? And you're like, I feel like an idiot, you know what I mean? I just burned rubber, you know, toasted my engine. Um, so, but when, you, when you're in traffic, your, your circumstances cannot be interpreted correctly from down here. You need to have, you need to like turn on the radio, tune in to Chopper Command. And there's a guy up there, you know, he's up there in the helicopter, and he's giving you the perspective of what's happening in the traffic. And he can tell you, you know what, you don't want to take that next exit. Actually, this is just a little accident just beyond the exit. It's fixing to clear up. You can have a much clearer path. If you take this one, you're going to find yourself going to another problem in another situation. It's very helpful to have a chopper command perspective on your circumstances. You get that through worship. Does that make sense to everybody out there? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm getting something out of this so far. Here's a scripture. Here's a scripture, and I could give you a bunch of ones on this particular subject, but from Habakkuk, I bet we don't read from Habakkuk every day. Habakkuk chapter 1, and I'm going to read from Habakkuk chapter 3 as well. This is what it says. It says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Has anybody ever talked like that or thought that? I don't want to admit it right now because I'm in church and I don't want a lightning bolt to come down on me, okay? Or cry out to you for violence, but you did not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. This is, this is Habakkuk's kind of complaint as he's praying. And then the Lord answers. He basically says, I know some stuff you don't know. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Now, I won't take you through all of Habakkuk this morning, but if you turn to the end in Hebrew, Habakkuk chapter 3, excuse me, verse 17, this is his conclusion, Habakkuk's conclusion. This is kind of the, the result, the commitment now from the prophet after I've seen kind of God's answer. He basically says this, though the fig tree does not bud... And there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit. Basically, let me interpret that for you. You build a list, whatever your list is, um, your, of, of complaints, of issues, of problems that you observe in the world. Those wouldn't be ours today, but that was his. 
Everybody tracking out there? He's basically saying, you still need to go on and worship God. That's what's going to be his conclusion. There are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Then he says in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Everybody say, I will rejoice in the Lord. In other words, I will worship. I will magnify. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And then he goes on to basically say, Father knows best. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. This is like a mountain, mountain deer. They have, they, have, they have hind's feet. They, they, um, they are sure-footed animals, basically. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights so I can go above these situations. I can, not all these, all these problems and circumstances that are facing, they're not all going to go away. I'm just going to be able to handle them. I'm going to be able to traverse them. I'm going to be able to mitigate those different things. He enables me to do that. Then he goes on. It takes it up a whole other notch, and this may not make sense to you, but it says, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Basically, he turns this whole thing into a song. It's like, it's like, you know, the sound of the hills are alive with the sound of music. He turns the whole thing into a song. So all the problems that he was facing, what did he do with them? He worshiped so he could get perspective on his circumstances. And then God made his feet like the feet, you know, of a, of a sure-footed animal so he could mitigate and handle those situations. That's the, when I say we magnify God through our circumstances, we interpret God's voice through circumstances, that's what I'm talking about. Does that make sense to everybody out there? Yes or no? So hearing God requires a commitment through the circumstances. You must praise him through those situations. That's what Paul and Silas did. That's what, that's what uh, you can see great warriors like David did, they were, Moses did. They'd have these, these moments in the middle of their circumstances, and they wouldn't say, oh, the circumstances is saying go this way. No, 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 no. They would, they would subordinate those crazy, restless feelings to worship. David at Ziklag, all his family and loved ones and, and children, everybody's taken from him. Everybody's saying, we got one choice, David. What are you going to do? Time out. I'm going to go pray. I need to go worship for a few minutes. They wanted to kill him because there was so much passion about what should obviously be done. What did he do, though? He had developed a reflex. I'm not going to interpret those circumstances by my impulses. I'm going to, I'm going to interpret those circumstances and be led by the Spirit of God. And until he tells me that I will recover all, I'm not moving one step. And you can do whatever you want, but hold up. That's what he said. Amen? Does that make sense to everybody? That's what he's trying to teach us to do, is subordinate those things and surrender those things to God. Okay, number two in tuning is to see how the message lines up with what are you hearing from God, what you think is from him, lines up with the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. You hide, you must hide the word of God in your heart, not just your head. How do you do that? Through meditation, through meditation on the word of God. In other words, you chew and you stew. You, 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 know, you, you don't just memorize it and get it up in your head so you can spit it out for an answer on a test. No, heart-hidden truth is for you in trial, test, and uncertainty. Heart-hidden truth is there for you in trial, in test, in uncertainty. There's a term that we use for those of us who've been in Christendom a while, any length of time, we would, we would call this divine recall. Okay, so in other words, a parallel would be you can't go into, and I did this, but you can't go into school in high school and pray and say, God, help me pass this test and have not studied. I tried that a bunch. <laughs> yep, that prayer just went bing, bing. 
You know, I think I was up there. Uh-uh. No. Mm-mm. So you have to have hidden that, not just in your head, but in your heart. And then in those moments of trial and testing, because that has been habitual, that's why your devotional life and your prayer life is so important. And so when, like, for example, right now when I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, I'm praying, when I get to that second step, praying about the Lord's name. We're worshiping his name. Do you remember us talking about that? So I'll pause for a little bit, and I'll look up scriptures that are related to the name of God. Oh, the name of the Lord. It's like a strong tower. The righteous shall run into it and are safe. And so I'll look up those scriptures on the name and then begin to incorporate those things into my prayer and worship. You know what that's good for? Because later on when I come under attack, I can call upon that particular scripture, divinely recall that when I need it, when I'm being tested. So if, if I'm facing something that's difficult, like I'm literally going to get into an accident, I can say, oh, the name of the Lord. It's like a strong tower. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me safe. Just the other day, I called my wife. I was at the intersection in Ashland, four, uh, four-way intersection. I came up to the light. Light turns green. I get ready to take off. Something told me to just pause. I paused. Whew, 60 miles an hour. This guy just ran through the light. I looked at him. Of course, I got a righteous indignation right away. <laughs> Smash, smash, smash. That's what I wanted to do. I had to suppress that, prayed for another second, looked to my left. Another guy went by following him because I guess they were all in a pack. I had a similar feeling come over me right after that, and I got ready to go again, and a third car went by. I got in the parking lot. I said, oh, the name of the Lord is like a strong tower. The righteous run into it are safe. I thank you, God, for protecting me and keeping me safe, keeping me safe. The enemy would want to take me out right there in my own town. Woo, it's good stuff, right? So we got to look for answers where they can be found. Psalm 121, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words are my joy and my delight. I love this particular, um, this whole thing about testing, it, being able to know the word of God and get it inside you because there's going to come a day when, when God wants to do something amazing through you, but you have, you have to have some, a work that's already been done in you. So in order for something amazing to be done through you, a work has already have to have been done in you. You look at the life of Moses, right? In the Old Testament, hands down, used in the most powerful and supernatural way of any person in humanity. But look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I think it's in your notes. If it's not, Deuteronomy 8 verses 1 through 3. Uh, it says this, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on an oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord God led you all the way in the wilderness these how many years? 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your what? Heart, so it's an inside out, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which you neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That should be our disposition, is to want God's word to sustain us, and to preserve us, and to protect us, and to uphold us, and to guide us. But it's something that we have to hide in our heart on a routine basis, make it a part of our character, to be used in an amazing way, God has to do something powerful inside of us as well. Here's the third filter. So we have the first one is circumstances, okay? The second one is the word of God. And the third one is we see what does your heart say inside you through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. The inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, this particular term is sometimes hard for some people to understand. The inner witness of the Holy Spirit. I like to parallel, uh, parallel would be the um, an umpire. 
It's just it's something that's saying, okay, this pitch that's coming down the pike at you, is it a strike? Is it a foul ball? Is this within certain parameters? In other words, it's, it's more than a feeling in the pit of your stomach. A lot of people do one of two things. A lot of people who are, let's, some people do only lean on what this one particular uh, tuning device, this one particular leg and they call it being led by the Holy Spirit. And really, they're being led by their feelings and by their experiences. We have sometimes, an, uh, in Christianity in particular, we sometimes have an overemphasis on the experiential and we negate or neglect the importance of the Word of God and circumstances. Does that make sense to anybody out there? Or you have the other extreme where we're looking for uh, uh, the Word of God, not just a Word of God. We're looking at the circumstances and we're lining it up with us, not from a perspective uh, of worship. And then we minimize or eliminate the inner witness of the Holy Spirit as if that is not important. If I had eliminated the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't be standing here today as your pastor. It's very important to have that. Feelings can be prompted sometimes by other things, like I mentioned before, what you eat or a fight with your mother-in-law. But you hear the witness of the Holy Spirit in, how do you hear it? In and through separation. You have to sometimes, for, for, it doesn't even have to be always solitary, although I think that is critical sometimes to a major decision. How do you get the witness of the Holy Spirit? Because the subjective is always screaming at you. To get objective, you have to sometimes get away from sometimes the, the, the environments that you're in. So to be able to really hear God, sometimes you kind of have to close off all the other voices, turn all the volume down to be still and know that I am God, Amen. according to Psalms. You have to be able to know what he's saying to you. And it requires a certain amount of insulation, sometimes even a little isolation, sometimes from from people that have strong opinions and, and a lot of weight in their words. Does that make sense to anybody out there? Separation is important for that. You gotta separate from the subjective and the preferential in order to know. So you gotta quiet your soul. Sometimes people have a really hard time with this, really quiet your soul, and sometimes you need some time to be able to do this. I can remember when, we were work, when I was working in school, my wife is the principal of our school now. We have a private academy uh, that meets next door at our other facility. And... Um, Every year in a Christian school, it used to be, for years, it would just be hard to find the right people. And there's this tendency sometimes with these vacancies to put uh, the wrong person in the right position. Because you're desperate. You're like, I, I got people coming, I got people counting on me, and all that kind of stuff. And I can remember one year, uh, this particular situation, I'm hiring this man, which is sometimes really hard to do in a Christian school. That's another whole story uh, for another time. Um, and, and the resume was good. Uh, pay looked like it was going to work out. Uh, all the circumstances were lining up, at least from this level. And then, um, you know, there was none, he was a Christian. He was a good standing member of his church community. Uh, he had worked in Christian schools before, blah, blah, blah. Boom, sign the contract. Let's do this thing. Soon as I signed it, I had a check in my spirit. I, I, I had turned the volume down on it before. I hadn't listened to the witness of the Holy Spirit before because why? This, my circumstances, because of my needs, because of what was going on in my life. And I think all of you can relate to what I'm talking about at some phase or juncture in your life. And we ignore that, and we don't quiet our soul, and we make mistakes. And I got burnt, and you have too at different times. We actually get further behind instead of moving forward. Here's an analogy. I actually had to send out a little <clears throat> APB for one of these. Um, this is a three-legged stool. These are very rare to find. Um, any, anybody out there have a three-legged stool in their house? Okay, there's one. 
Where were you when I was looking for you? <laughs> I had to drive to like Connecticut for this. Uh, I'm just kidding. But, but here's the thing about a three-legged stool. If you try to sit, all three legs are critical. Again, they are the Word of God, the witness of the Holy Spirit, and then circumstances. You have to have all three legs. If you sit, if you're trying to make a decision on what God's Word is saying, and you only have one leg of the stool, what's going to happen to the stool? Crash, fall over. If you try to make a decision based on what God's Word is saying to you, and you only have circumstances in a Word, but you don't have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, which I did when I hired this teacher, you got two legs, you don't have three, you sit on that stool, what's going to happen? You're going to fall over. You need all three legs to be able to make wise decisions. This three-legged principle will help you tune in to what God's Word is saying to you, what God's, the, the rhema word, the spirit and life of God, what he's trying to speak to you. You've got to have them all. Does that make sense to anybody out there? It's a three-legged stool. So that's tuning. The next thing is turning, turning, okay? Now here's the thing about this. The second area to hearing God is understanding that he's not only speaking. I believe, you believe probably that he's speaking, but actually he's desperately trying to get your attention. And especially when you're off course. God's word, when he's trying to talk to you and get, get your attention through those different legs, he's, he's actually trying to, I don't know if this is in your notes, but his words are usually for three purposes. Edification, edification, direction, or correction. Edification, direction, or correction. So usually that's what's coming to you. He's wanting to build you up. He's wanting to strengthen you. He's wanting to encourage you. He's wanting to, okay, oh, come over this way a little bit. Oh, you oh, come over this way a little bit. Or hold up, hold up, hold up. That's not a good decision. That's not a good decision. You don't want to do that. You don't want to walk down that path. Does that make sense? And you and I, I'm submitting to you, are in danger if we're just reading and living off letters. We need, to be, we need to be speaking to and dialoguing with God. And if you're ready to t- return or steer back to God, how do we do that? How do we get back on the right path so that we're actually hearing those things and making decisions based on his word and based on his witness and based on the circumstances? How do we do that? How do we get on the right path? So finding your path. Here's three three-step process to kind of getting how he tries to get you back on track. He tries to reach you through whatever means necessary. And I promise you that your God is so loving. He'll use a service. He'll use a servant of God. He'll use your dog. He'll use all kinds of things to try to get your attention, to catch you and capture your heart again. God's attempts to get your attention are unbelievable, the lengths that he'll go to. The first way that he tries to get our attention, number one, is through conviction. Conviction. Or you could call it uh, the still small voice of God. The whispers of God. In Isaiah chapter 20, it talks about the Holy Spirit, like he'll whisper, say, go this way. One time, Paul was going in one direction, and it says the Spirit of Jesus directed him in a different way. God's, God will whisper to us, but how many know it's easy sometimes to turn down the whispers of God, just like it's easy to turn down the radio or turn it up so you can't hear something else? What'd you say, honey? And people sometimes crank it up. You know, we got to be, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, by the way, conviction and condemnation are different. Condemnation is the result of conviction unattended. That's what happens. 
Condemnation is the result of conviction unattended. So when we don't listen to the still small voice of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then it becomes the next level, and this is a big word and I'll make it simple, but prophetic warnings would be an Old Testament kind of parallel, but you could just say people. So if we don't listen to his voice, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then he's going to use people. And he, and he does this a lot in our lives. This doesn't always come by the way just like it didn't in the Old Testament. That's why I like to use prophetic. When you think of a prophet in the Old Testament, when the prophet showed up, people weren't like, you know, come on in. Hey, let's chill out. Let's, you know, relax. No, they were freaking out. The prophet's here and he's got a word. Oh, my gosh. So is anybody? So, so sometimes the, the warnings that come through people to help get us on the right path, to turn us back to that right path, sometimes they, they're not the preferred package. It could come through, you know, a boss. It could come through your child. It could come through your spouse. I can remember explicitly, and I've told this recently, uh, when I went through a physical challenge in January of 2013, prior to that, at the end of 2012, I was wrestling another, and I never got sick, but I was wrestling a physical problem. And, 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 and um, <laughs> my wife, one time, I can remember being on a walk, and I, the, the doctors had recommended that I have a laparoscopic surgery for a growth that was in my stomach. And they claimed it was just this little thing. And so as a result of me telling me that, that's like saying, don't do it, blow it off, because it was just no big deal is how it came through to me. That was my filter. And because uh, I was interpreting the circumstances from here by myself, I was willing to just let that thing go. So my wife starts talking to me about, you're going to get that surgery, you need to schedule that thing and get that thing dealt with. And I was like, nah, it's, we're not going to do that. It's going to be fine. I'm fine. It's no big deal. You know what? I even said this, and I'm, going to be, I'm embarrassed to say, these doctors are just trying to turn a buck by the end of the year. They're just trying to turn a buck. That's all they're doing. They've got to meet their quotas by the end of the year. So they do it all kinds of things. And I went on a little diatribe about that. I'm embarrassed, but it's the truth. That's what I said. And she got right up in my grill. She said, you need to take care of that. Like, you know, and I was like, hey, ho, huh? <laughs> Watch it. I still got one leg. Uh, and so I did it. You know what? That prophetic warning from my, my precious wife who loves me might have saved my life, ultimately. Because there was a tumor there, and it was cancerous, and it was a problem. They got it all, praise the Lord. And I'm healthy. I, almost two years later, I'm totally healthy under surveillance, and everything's great, praise God. But it was a person who got up in my grill and was speaking the word of the Lord to me. What if I didn't listen to that? Here's what happens when you don't listen to that. The next level is this. Let me read a scripture to you real quick. James 5, 19. You getting something out of this out there, everybody? James 5, 19 and 20 says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Galatians 6 talks about this, verse 1 and 2, to carry each other's burdens, and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Be careful you don't fall in the same trap, but you should most to carry each other's burdens. Okay, so the next level, third level, process, and God's attempt to get your attention, we call it judgment, okay? This is not the kind of judgment that we, we want to, you necessarily like to hear about, but basically what it's saying is this, is God doesn't cause these things to happen, but he'll simply leverage the outcomes of certain hardships or or affliction that you will face. He'll leverage it to use it to get your attention. You know, there were certain things when I was, in, when I was on my back in the hospital where God was getting my attention. One of the Psalms came to my mind. You know, it basically said, uh, you know, uh, he will make you lie down in green pastures. He will make you lie down. I can remember thinking, you know, if you won't lie down, then I will make you lie down, you know. 
It was like, you're getting my attention. You know, I had to stop and, and reprioritize and reorganize my life. 1 Corinthians 11 says, but if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, if you need that reference. Each level becomes more intense. And the only thing that can stop the loving levels of God is to repent and obey. And then the tuner comes on. Turning will lead to the tuner being turned back on again. Does that make sense to anybody out there? It will come back online. So your need to hear the voice of God is sometimes precipitated by you responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God is speaking a lot of times through people, and sometimes he's speaking through the circumstances. And if you don't respond to them, you'll face judgment. You'll be hurting. You'll be, you'll, it'll be problematic for you. And you can be looking at that, and a lot of people misinterpret those circumstances, that judgment, and they'll say, God, why, 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 why? We should be saying, what, what, what? What, what are you trying to teach me? What, what is going on here? What should I be learning through these circumstances? Even Jesus on his worst day, he did say why, but he didn't say why and blame it on God. Why has thou forsaken me? He wasn't blaming God. He was just pointing his tough question at God. So we got to get those things right. Does that make sense to anybody out there? Here's the last one. So it's so important that, as you, that you see that God is always trying to get your attention. I think about some of the great men and women of God through, through the years. One, one, my pastor, when I was in, when I was in college, uh, a long time ago, <laughs> uh, he fell to deception. He was used all over the world. He was an incredible communicator. I can remember being at his revival meetings. That changed my life. He spoke a word over me that has affected me to this day. And he fell prey to deception because he had no protection. He had no overseers in his life to keep him from heresy, from financial abuse, and from immorality. He didn't respond. He didn't have, he wasn't responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which you, we can, which you can be sure God was trying to get his attention. He wasn't responding to the people and the emissaries that God was putting in his life to try to save him. The same can be said, and as a result, he ended up teaching things like universalism, which I don't even know if you know what that means, but it's insane. It's insane. It's crazy doctrine. Crazy, crazy. Went off the deep end. Lost all his credibility and some of his credentials in the process. How? Because he couldn't, he couldn't respond to this process where God was desperate to try to capture his heart. Ted Haggard, one of, one of my mentors, we teach his principles, life-giving principles, life-giving attitudes, relationships, missions, structures. A lot of the things, he's brilliant. God gave him incredible downloads. He affected the world. The, 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 the modern church has been affected by him. He was the president of the NAE, which is second to the Republican Party, one of the largest organizations in the world. He was, you know, in the president's, you know, advisory board and speaking with him all the time. And he fell prey to sexual sin. How does that happen? No, and I'm saying anything, I'm not saying anything that's not known today. How does that happen because of this process being ignored it's so important that we see that here's the last thing testing when you hear from God now this is what will continue to cultivate this relationship this is what will continue to motivate and get it to move forward from where it is okay so we've got tuning turning now testing when you have heard from God what should you do doesn't it seem or make sense that if you want to keep hearing something from someone, you actually listen to them once in a while? I was, I was, I was talking to my father, and he was going through a situation recently where he was, he was kind of upset with one of, his, one of his staff, fundamentally because this, he felt like this person wasn't listening. This person wasn't listening. And I think that's how God the Father sometimes feels with us. Why keep talking to them about this? Although I, I think he's so gracious and merciful, and he does keep trying 
But, but you got to think about how it, must be, it must, must be grievous sometimes. So it's important that we listen to him, that we also obey so that you don't lose your hearing, so you don't go deaf. Faith that isn't tested really isn't faith. Abraham believed God, right? It says it was credited to him as righteousness because he actually did what God spoke to him to do. I can remember when we talked about this with my daughter Madison. She was learning how to swim. She was afraid to jump in a pool. She didn't want to dive. And we'd say, dive. And she'd say, no. And I said, what is the matter? She says, I'm afraid. What are you afraid of? She says, Daddy, I hear other voices. I said, well, listen to me. And she'd say, well, these voices are louder. <laughs> and I said, well, then I'll get louder. Listen to me. You know? You, we need to learn how to trust the voice of God and act upon it. So how do we do that? In order to secure that the frequency comes in clear, we must follow these directions. Number one, step up. Everybody say step up. In other words, do what you know to do daily. Renew your mind regularly. Because if you don't renew your mind regularly, you'll become prey to your mind being really renewed by the world. You'll either intentionally be renewed or unintentionally be renewed the wrong way. Because the world is filling you with stuff all the time. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What happens when you just listen to the word and don't do it? You can fall prey to deception. The worst deception of all is self-deception. Thinking we're okay because we just, we, we just listen to the word. We just put it in our, put it in our head. God says, it's, it's, God wants it in your heart, and then he wants, if it's in your heart, it will, it will come out in response. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Matthew 7, 24 says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and love this part, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the, not the sand, but upon the rock. So we got to become a student of God. So we got to, first, we have to step up. Next, we have to step out. It's very easy. Focus on the voice of God. Filter out all the other voices. That's what I told Madison. You just listen to my voice. Look at me. Listen to me. Trust your father. Trust your mother. I was on the, on the pool side standing with her, and Stacy was in the pool saying, I got you, I got you, I got you. We say, you got to trust your parents. Trust your parents. And as she began to focus on her voice and focus on her words and focus on, you know, the relationship that she had with us, she dove in that pool. She became a great little diver, great little swimmer, and she can pretty much outswim Devin now. <laughs> Wherever he is, whatever he tells you, it's not true. She's faster. So <laughs> Acts chapter 27 says, last night an angel of the God of whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that will happen just as he told me. So while he's on a ship that looks like it's going down, he's recalling, listen, this is divine recall, he's recalling what God had already spoke to him. And then he spoke that out, and then it later came to be. Does that make sense? He spoke things that be not as though they were, because in his mind, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen, so he spoke it into existence, because he spoke it as if it had already happened. That's how we're supposed to stand on promises, as if they've already happened. Make sense to anybody out there? It's good to do that. One time I was ministering. Anybody? I'm, I'm excited about this message this morning because this, this one ministers to me a lot. But I can remember one time, this is crazy, but I can remember ministering just down the street here to a, an elder and his wife in our church now, Stephen and Nicole Boris, and their daughter had this horrible rash all over. Excuse me. She was really, really sick. She had a little bit of a, a rash on her body. And they came for prayer, so we, we prayed. And I said, I got a word for me, and it's going to be a little crazy at first. It's going to get worse, and then it's going to get totally better. 
I was like, am I going to say that, Lord? Am I going to say that? Yep. I said, I, so I decided, you know, I'm going to step up and I'm going to step out. I spoke it out. I said, it's going to get a little worse. Don't be afraid. And then it's going to totally go away and vanish. The next day, my wife would be here to tell you, the girl gets covered in this total rash. By the end of that day, gone like baby skin, just like baby skin. That, 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 that's what I'm talking about. I know that sounds a little crazy for some of you to believe that something like that could happen, but, but that's what it means. What if you heard from God? Listen, to what, how, what do, you, do you think that encouraged me a little bit? I've told that story a few times. Would it encourage you to hear from God, actually speak it out, and then it come to be? Would anybody be encouraged by something like that? This is how it happens. First, you, you have to kind of tune in. You have to make sure you're on the right path with God, and you're going to be tested if you want it to continue to happen again. You've got to practice active listening and then do what you hear after applying what you've learned on the three-legged stool. The last thing is step on, or you could say route out doubt. Squash doubt with actions. What's the worst thing that can happen? I used to think about this. Listen to this. What's the worst thing that can happen? Well, I'll be embarrassed. No, I don't think so. What's the worst thing that happened? You, you'll, you'll be wrong. Nope, I don't even think that's. You know what the worst thing that can happen is? You start over again. You start over. Let me try to explain. Listen to scripture. James 1, verse 6 and following. It says, but when he asks, this is talking to you and me. When I ask, I must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Listen to this. This line hit me so hard. Because when we, don't, when we don't step on doubt, when we don't step out and do it, the worst thing that can happen is not that I won't be embarrassed. It's not that I won't be wrong. It's that I won't receive anything that I ask from God. Oh, I just hope this makes sense. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded and unstable in all he does. See, the, the, the incentive is, is that when you do step out and you do step on doubt and you do go for it, you're going to see incredible things happen through your life. For something amazing to happen on the outside, something incredible has to happen on the inside, right? And that requires us to be able to, to, be able to uh, tune in to that frequency of God by interpreting the circumstances objectively, by making sure we have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, that we get a word from God, not just the word from God, that we make sure that we, if we're off track, that we turn, turn back to God, listen to his voice, the conviction of the Holy Spirit would be the best step for us. If people are talking to us, please respond. If you look at those circumstances, don't misinterpret those circumstances as God doesn't love you. No, he loves you desperately. When you get back on track and he begins to speak again, you're going to have to actually begin to act on the different things that he's saying. And one of the things that we need to act on is, is, step in, is stepping on doubt and if we begin to step on doubt that relationship that cultivated relationship gets stronger and stronger and that's when you begin to see the byproduct of the conversations and relationship with God is it affects your everyday life you change the world in which you live you become an overcomer you do things that nobody nobody else can see or imagine or even possible that's Ephesians 3 20 according to the power that's at work within us means that we have to actually have some relationship that actually affects the relationships that are in our world amen why don't you stay on your feet? Let me pray for you. Did you get something out of this? Good, 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 good. Amen. I hope you can give it away. That would be my most honoring thing you do to God and, my, and my, even me is just give it away. Remember that rule. Would you just close your eyes and, and, and just focus for a second on, on what the Holy Spirit would be speaking to you through this particular message? What is he saying to me through this message today? Maybe you're in your relationship with God, you've turned away and you're not where you need to be. You're not right on the right path. Every path 
has a predetermined destination. And a lot of times we're just looking on the path. We're not looking where the path leads. God's looking where the path leads. And he wants to make sure you end up in the right place. And that's right there with him. In relationship with him. Revelation says, look, here I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I'll come in and share a meal with you as friends. Maybe God is calling you back today. Maybe this is one of those days where the conviction of the Holy Spirit is present. He's speaking to you. Maybe he's speaking to you through a person so that you don't have to walk out of here and experience some tough times unnecessarily. But even if that's the case, it's God pulling you back to him. If God is pulling you back today to him to get right with him again, and you know you're kind of off track, would you just raise your hand and just say, I've been off and I need to get on track with God today. I want to make sure I'm okay with him. I don't want to be off the path anymore. God bless you for your honesty all over the world. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Every person that's praying that raise their hand here today. I pray for each person there that's just off track, Lord. I pray they'd be quick to respond to the voice of God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit would work inside their life where they, they recognize that still small voice and, and they do something about it. They don't let it go on and on and on and on. Conviction becomes condemnation when it's unattended. Wherever you are, you just need to get right with God. Just repent where you are. Just say, I'm sorry, Lord. He's faithful to forgive you. And re- rededicate your life to him again today, right where you are. Maybe you're here today and you know that God is standing at the door of your heart and you've never given your heart ever to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never surrendered your life to him. I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to embarrass you. But, but God is seeing this moment. He's watching. He's observing this experience. I believe that with all my heart. And he's paying attention to this. This could be the most important. This, today is the day of salvation. Today could be the day of salvation for you, a day where you made a decision to dedicate your life to Jesus Christ. And maybe that's why you're here. Maybe it's the number one reason you're here is to start a journey with him, but it starts by first inviting him into your life. He stands at the door and knocks, but the door has a, has a handle on the inside and it's waiting for you to open it up. And if that's you and, and you're ready to open your heart to him, invite him into your life, accept him, is kind of the, the key navigator of your life. Follow his word and make that the manual for your life and, and, and come into relationship with him, not just a monologue with him. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, that's me, pastor. I don't want to leave before I've done that. I don't want to leave before I've done that. God bless you. Is there anybody else? Good and high. I don't want to miss you. God bless you. God bless you. You've never done that before and you know you need to make that decision. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Thank you over there. Thank you. Church, would you just pray this with me? And yes, God bless you. Those of you who raised your hand, Would you just pray this prayer? Every head bowed, every eye closed, honoring the person to your right or to your left. Just say, Jesus, sincerely, I invite you into my heart today. I open the door of my own free will. And I I ask that you come in and you fix what needs to be fixed. You see the mess. I can't clean it up by myself. I need you. And I want to be in relationship with you. I don't want this to be a one-way thing anymore. I want it to be a two-way street. And I thank you that you made that possible because of what you did on Calvary, the cross, 2,000 years ago. You broke the dividing wall, the barrier between God and man. Sin. And you put that upon yourself, and it doesn't have to be on me anymore. And I can walk out of here today free from the penalty of sin with a clear conscience. You did that as well. By the shedding of your blood and the sprinkling of blood, 
I am free. I'm saved. I'm whole. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for all those people that made that decision. God is pleased. God is happy.